0: Log, Starbate 173. It was such a joy to tour the USS Enterprise. What a ship. But honestly, she's not nearly as impressive as her captain. She's one damn sexy man. Welcome to Re-Engage, where we return to a sci-fi show we all have a strong connection to, Star Trek The Next Generation. We re-engage with the series one episode at a time and reconsider Star Trek from a new perspective. I am very excited to talk about Episode Nine season two the measure of a man with these wonderful people my wonderful cultural bridge crew uh i will start by saying hi to jimmy g hi jimmy
1: hey how's it going good excited to talk about uh snodgrass in the crew
0: snodgrass what a great name i love it uh and a great script that she penned eric gratton how are you doing sir I'm doing well, Greg Tito.
2: It's nice to see your beautiful face again. It's been a while. Jimmy, howdy.
0: That's it. I'm excited. And we're very excited to welcome Kelly Knox to this discussion. Hi, Kelly. How are you doing?
3: Good. Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. uh, We uh, when we have guests on, we usually try to ask them like what their background is with Star Trek. Uh, And I believe we're all of a similar age, so Tell us about what it was like when you were uh, watching Star Trek back in the day.
3: Um, so I guess it premiered when I was, yep, 10 years old. So it was kind of like uh, one of my favorite shows at the time. It was actually probably the first show that I really got into. Like the first um, like obsession level show was probably Star Trek The Next Generation. So uh, yeah, I mean, I watched it all the way from you know junior high to, through high school. And <laughs> yeah, I consider it a next generation in particular like a big part of my childhood so
0: absolutely yeah and you can see that going through with your 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 journalism at places like nerdist and things like that like you've just you're in this this geeky world and with it star trek that was your 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 kind of way in
3: um so it was always star wars which is why i write for starwars.com but um for like true like i said like the obsessive fandom type levels i i would say that was yeah the first one was next generation
0: Nice. Well, I'm looking forward to some of your Star Wars level dad jokes uh, on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) They are fantastic. Thanks. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we were like I said, we were a very similar age. Uh, I was uh, nine when I started watching this and my daughters are, uh, you know, eight and ten now. And so we're watching them uh, with some of these episodes with them and hearing their thoughts. And it's really great going back in time. And part of that is really fun looking at. What was going on in the world when this episode first aired, which was February 13th, 1989. Uh, A lot of things were going on, uh, but I wanted to start with talking about uh, what happened on February 11th, just a few days before this. Barbara Harris was the first woman consecrated as a bishop of the Episcopal Church in the United States of America. Uh, I remember this being a big deal at the time and talking about it. Uh, I have a strong Catholic upbringing. And so my parents were talking about things like this uh, a lot. And I did a little bit of uh, research on uh, what was going on in that. And it's fascinating because this, this uh, woman, Barbara Harris, was uh, a acolyte at the first um, uh, ceremony that was indoctrinating women priests to the Episcopal Church. Uh, in the 70s and then she was uh, ordained as a priest in uh, I think 1979 and uh, or as a deacon in 79 and then as a priest in 1980 and then here in 1989 she was the first bishop uh, and it is uh, kind of a uh, the beginning and or continuation of how the Episcopal Church which grew from the Church of England now becomes uh, a lot more liberal uh, even now uh, in how they have um been one of the few churches to uh open arms to same-sex marriages and have an actual ceremony that uh Mm -hmm. is designed for same-sex marriages um really really interesting stuff any thoughts there
2: i love it (laughs)
0: i'm for it yes i think
2: that's fantastic i do remember it coming on the news uh i hadn't remembered her name uh being the same as as a really fantastic actor uh but that would have confused me a little bit but uh (laughs) yeah i'm for it barbara clementine
0: harris maybe that that'll that'll clear things up a little bit oh that's beautiful yeah Yay, Bishop Harris! Yay, Bishop Harris! Uh, and then on February fourteenth, just a day after this episode air, the first of twenty four satellites of the global positioning system are placed into orbit. Wow! GPS begins. Was that one of the
2: things that started out military, and then there were other things, or did it start out travel?
0: No, it started out as, as telecom, as, as military, and then you know eventually morph into Skynet.
2: It always does. <laughs>
0: How much do we depend on that now now? You know, like nobody even has physical maps anymore. It's all just GPS.
1: My uh, yeah. honeymoon would have really been uh improved had we had GPS on my phones back then. Lost two nights of our honeymoon because we got lost in Rome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and all the maps were in Italian.
1: Uh no, but the Italian guard who saw it laughed at us. He's like, This isn't a map, this is a <clears throat>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you had like a Disneyland map of Rome. It was
1: the Rick Steves map.
2: Oh amazing.
0: That's so good. Uh less good, also on February 14th, the the Supreme Leader of Iran, Ayatollah Khamenei, issues a fatwa calling for the death of Sam and Rushdie uh for the satanic verses.
2: I think Greg that you butchered all of those pronunciations.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's now a but, fatwa against me. But
2: I I definitely remember that too. That was the the you know fodder on late night talk shows and still I guess is is how uh, Salman Rushdie is is first mentioned when anybody talks about his prolific career.
0: <laughs> right? I mean, that's the first time I heard his name mm-hmm. uh and um... I mean,
2: to be fair, I you know, we were 10 12, <laughs> you know,
0: we were not quite literary. That's Jimmy true. was twenty-five. <laughs> Kelly, do you Listen remember hearing about 12.
3: this? No, like I, I know the names, but I don't think, I don't think I knew any of this news actually at the time. I was too <laughs> focused on Star Trek. That's kind of I think well, what happened.
0: <laughs> that makes sense.
2: My parents were both teachers, so they sat me down in front of the news from the first time I could really understand.
0: I, I I did I wasn't really necessarily sat down, but I definitely watched a lot of news. And that's where I think a lot of this is coming up, especially during this age. Um, but something that's a little bit more uh, fun, perhaps, is that, and this was an argument uh, used to win arguments against my friends who were wrestling fans. Uh, but in order to gain deregulation, the WWF admitted that pro wrestling was an exhibition and not a sport in a New Jersey court of law. So it's fact. It's all made up. It moment. is
2: incredibly well choreographed and improvised by performers who are without parallel. I agree with you, Greg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was such a thing. Maybe it was just being. You know, oh, totally, like, it was. So we young were kids, yeah. at the time, but they tried to pretend that it wasn't, right? They tried to pretend that it was a sport for the longest time.
2: I remember Geraldo went backstage at some WWF event and told one of the wrestlers it was fake, and the wrestler slapped him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that did not look fake as, as a semi-professional now, like, no, that dude slapped him. It was
0: fun. That is fun. That's worth all of this, actually, if yeah. we're all over getting hit in the face.
2: Yeah, it was like the it's the cross neck slap that looks like they're hitting you in the face, but they do an open hand kind of right here and it comes across the chest and it makes an enormous sound and it hurts. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm sure that wrestler has no regrets. No. To this
2: day. <laughs> I, d- does he have like a GoFundMe just for a know, thank you? Donate
0: some coffee to him. Uh, and uh, our our intrepid bridge officer Kate Yeager is away performing some amazing stuff in the great state of Michigan right now. But she would normally be telling us about the cultural, uh, you know, pop culture of the time. Uh, but I'll we miss it. you, Kate. We miss you so much, Kate. Um, I will not be able to sing any of these, so I'm sorry. But you told Kate you would. I will. Okay, I might be able to try one. But right. uh, I'm going to start with movies. Uh, the number one movie in America during this week. Any guesses? We had Rain Man raining for about a month and a half uh, to start this year.
2: Did what? it? Did it open at number one, or has it? close? Cli- cli- I was going to guess Batman Ooh. too. Close. Eighty nine. Gotten to
0: Batman yet?
2: Oh. Okay, that was a winter release. Yes. All right.
0: I'm just gonna say it because you're never gonna get it. The Fly okay. Two. Fuck yeah, Eric Stoltz.
2: Yes, Eric Stoltz.
0: <laughs> Universally panned, uh, film sequel. But uh, but at least it, I think it earned something like six point eight million dollars, uh, this week to uh, beat out Rain Man and.
2: It's a romantic uh, movie to be number one at Valentine's Day. Exactly.
1: 6.8 million that would not you wouldn't be allowed in Hollywood if your movie made 6.8 million these days right
0: it was February though you know so I think this was there's a lot of that you know general uh wisdom that you can't just you know uh, premiere movies during this time it won't make any money and I think this is why because it's nobody was going to the movies in February back then uh the number one song is still straight up now tell me uh, which I'm not going to sing because since Kate did it so awesome, and of course, bah, 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 <sighs> disappointing, bah,
2: bah. disappointing.
0: That was um, close.
2: We'll, we'll accept that. Yeah,
0: that's good. Uh, but the number one album for this week is of interest, at least to me. Uh, it's sandwiched in between a six week run at number one by Bobby Brown. He uh, his album "Don't Be Cruel" was number one uh, for three weeks, and then this album. Uh, took the number one spot and then Don't Be Cruel was uh, number one for three more weeks. Do you guys have any thought as to what the album for a one
2: week number one? Yeah, Did it come back later or was it only a one week number one?
0: I believe it was only a one week number one. Soundtrack to The Fly 2.
3: <laughs> nice, solid, <laughs> solid guess. Rick uh, Axley. I'll,
0: I'll give you a hint Uh, close also. He's, he's, he's on this list but uh, it is it, not this um from a quote one of my favorite quotes from the first track on this album Ooh. do you know where you are you're in the
2: jungle baby in the jungle baby appetite for destruction
0: you are going to die
2: you are going to die <laughs> <laughs> hell
0: yeah and in researching this i didn't realize but welcome to the jungle uh the the lyrics as such as they are were uh inspired by axel rose taking a trip to seattle Yeah,
2: terrifying
0: (laughs) yeah he said it was a big city uh but at the same time it's a small city compared to la and the things you're gonna learn it seemed a lot more rural up there i just wrote how it looked to me if someone comes to town they want to find something they can find whatever they want that quote makes no sense to me but i just like the fact that he was trying to explain how it was about seattle uh as being welcome to the jungle which i always thought it was about la
2: yeah, I mean, there's a natural assumption. I, I thought the same thing. Yeah.
3: And look, you got the singing in. Both of you saying <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: How could you not? Right. It's all for you, Kate.
0: <laughs> we miss you, Kate. We miss you so much. Uh, and then now is when we talk through some of the amazing guest stars of this episode. I'll go and give you some of the basics of what uh, the measure of a man is all about. It was star date 42523.7. And it was, of course, written by Melinda M. Snodgrass, as we mentioned before, directed by Robert Shearer. This was the first script that Melinda Snodgrass wrote. Uh, and she said she took her uh, inspiration from her time as a lawyer, I believe. Uh, but Eric, do you wanna talk us through some of the amazing guest stars on Holy episode?
2: shit, I do? Uh, there's really four that we can talk about. Uh, we won't talk at length about all four of them, but, uh, this is a class that's relatively small, but one that I would kind of describe as holy shit, because just to start, you have, uh, the, um, uh, Captain, uh, Philippa, uh, French, we, uh, whose last name I didn't uh, write down, but we all remember her. One of her first lines in this is a, is a little, uh, stinger that goes, ain't love grand. And that, of course, is Amanda McBroom, who we might know from elsewhere than Captain Louvois. There, I did write it down. She wrote... Okay, can I, can you sing the next line here, Jimmy? Some say you love...
1: It is a river... Nice. She wrote the
2: rose? She wrote the rose Damn. for Miss Bette Midler among other artists, including herself. It's very good. So she's a singer-songwriter that wrote a bunch of music for the Land Before Time series. She wrote a musical based on the movie Dangerous Beauty. Do you remember that one with uh, Oliver Platt and um, oh, Braveheart. Oh, I can't remember her name. She's so fun. Anyway, that movie, if you find it, I need to find the musical. Uh, She wrote, uh, she did voices in like GoBots and Smurfs and Richie Rich Scooby-Doo show. She is a legend. But then we get to Clyde Kuzatsu, uh, and he is a podcast into himself. This guy who played Admiral Nakamura here, mm. I'm sure you recognize from everything. You know, I, 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 we see him here as uh, one JCP Jean uh, Jean Luc uh, Picard's classmate mm-hmm. at the academy in uh, this and two other episodes. He's in this uh, one in the middle, and then in the series finale. So that would be enough for everyone's entire career. And he's the vice president of SAG LA. But then you go back uh-huh. and you see MASH and you get, fuck it. You see 304 credits on IMDb from this guy, including one of the best shows currently, Never Have I Ever. So he's he's doing very well. Um, love his work. He shows up. He's maybe a judge on TV more than anybody else. Dakin Matthews would fight him for that. But those two seem to be it. Um, he plays coroners, cops, gang leaders, all in the plural, legend. And then we go to Michael Braveheart, who plays uh, 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 Classman. Is it Classman Martinez? Uh, It's something like that. Crewman Martinez uh, in this one. This is the first time I think that he's listed as guest star, but it's like the fourth or fifth time he appears in the series. Uh, This is while he was still on the bridge. But then next season, he makes his classic move to uh physician's assistant and he is probably the second most featured nurse in star trek history uh so always pay attention to michael braveheart he has uh probably 90 95 star trek appearances between wow. uh, uh uh what do you call it between that character and uh, martinez and he plays Anytime you see Klingons that are multiple, he's a Klingon in just about everything, right? Uh, Video games, movies, dude is everywhere. And he was one of the firefighters in Always, which is one of my die on the hill favorites. Mm. And he's a drag queen in The Doors. He's a legend too. Then you get Brian Brophy as Maddox, who has a neat career, but we've talked a lot, so let's go. You're a villain. You don't get talked about as much because you're you're in here with Titans. But everybody go look up Brian Brophy. He's got a nice career too.
0: I like that, Kelly, you were like, boo, hiss. Boo, hiss. Hey. <laughs> 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 he gets uh, some of the best uh, uh, musical notes that you know he's a villain as soon as he's introduced. But we'll get to that. Uh, Jimmy G, is there any fun, amazing... Trivia for this episode. Uh,
1: indeed, there is. And it starts with the amazing Melinda Snodgrass. Not only is that a Willy Wonka name, but uh, <laughs> she she was a lawyer she, that did inform uh, the script that she wrote. This script was brought in um, during the writer's strike still. This is still having an impact into the ninth episode of season two. Um, she got to pitch this. They bought it. Uh, she wrote her first novel, um, was in the Trekverse, uh, mm-hmm. Tears of the Singers, uh, and she was a long-time contributing editor uh, and contributor of stories to George R.R. R. Martin's uh, Wild Cards. Uh, I haven't read oh. that particular series of his, um, but just being in the room with Martin means she has some writing chops. Uh, but... The most interesting thing is uh, she is the sole reason why you should go out right now and buy the Blu-ray set for season two, because this episode on the uh, Blu-ray set is 57 minutes, 13 minutes longer because 10 additional scenes were added because she kept a VHS tape of the original cut. And it was the only wow. one in existence, um, and they took that VHS tape and those extra scenes and they remastered them and put them into the Blu-ray and is the only episode in the Star Trek canon out of all the series to ever go back to the original cut. So there's extant stuff from everything, but only this episode got got to go back to, to take one. Yeah, what's up, Eric?
2: This it gives me an opportunity to once more talk about the collection that my dad left me a couple of years ago when he passed, uh, which includes the Blu-ray of uh, these uh, seasons. So I'm going to go back and watch wow. that. And thanks, Pop. All right. Yes, nice. that's
1: amazing. I was trying to find where I might be able to get it because I want to see some of these extra scenes in one of them. Well, if uh, I can... Yeah, let me if I can find it. If I'll bring it
2: tomorrow, if I can find it.
1: Um, one of the scenes was an extra scene with Riker, because in the in the script, it was he was actually trying to beat Picard. He had this kind of uh, mischievous need to beat the captain. Uh, and that was part of, uh, of the scene. And then another amazing part of just Snodgrass writing this is. Uh, Gene Roddenberry was very adamant that in the 24th century, one, there's no fighting. So, And this was something that all writers came across with, with him, that there could be no conflict between the bridge officers. It was made it difficult for them to find conflict. Uh, they had to go out to external uh, um, places and sources. But in addition to that, he thought there there would be no lawyers because they would have different ways of dealing with problems then. And on top of that, he told her, and data would be ecstatic to be disassembled. <laughs> so she looked at him and said, well, then we don't have a script. And she left. And the, uh, wow. um, what's his name? The, the, the producer really wanted to do this script. So they called it back. And whatever happened, she said she had no idea. She gave him an interview. Something at a pay grade above herself, she was quoted as saying, solve the issue. And her script went through um pretty much as she uh had written it. Um so that's sort of the bulk of it. Another fun little thing is when Riker's going through the information about data, uh you may be able to see I went back and tried to find it. I couldn't read the screen. Uh but he's referred to as NFN, NI data, meaning uh no first name, no middle initial, uh just a little geeky thing about you know how he was referred to. Uh, in the early days, um, and you know, eight hundred quadru- uh, quadrillion bits is his positronic brain, and sixteen trillion operations per second for uh, the data nerds that are. That are yeah, that's
0: okay. <laughs> I'm, that I'm still not competes. enough of a computer science person to know if that's actually a lot right now. But part of me was like, I yeah. bet they they thought this was a huge number, but my phone probably has more bits <laughs> stored on it than, than data does.
1: Right, quadrillion though.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of bits. Nobody oh, even sure. uses the term bits anymore. That's what that's how outdated this is. I think they're bit.
2: talking about cash, like a quarter is two bits. Like I, I think he's <laughs> he's just talking about like monetary value. Yeah. It's how much
1: I'm worth, yo. Yeah.
0: It's a lot of bits. Uh, so let's get into the episode proper. Now, uh, the cold open for this is fantastic. I love that it introduces the poker game. Uh, that is a motif that is used throughout, you know, including, uh, if I remember correctly, the last shot of the, of the season series finale, uh, is, is calls back to this episode. And so it's an important thing that goes through. Uh, what did you guys think? Uh, let's we'll start with you, Kelly, uh, about this poker scene and how it is laid out, uh, for uh for for data
3: um well so i just watched it again today i so when we had uh, you know when these started airing we had like vhs tapes where we would you know tape our favorite episodes and then watch them over and over again so i've seen this one probably a hundred times but i wanted to watch it again today and i have to say data's hat and that scene is fabulous like the way it kind of glitters like I'd never noticed it before but I was looking at it today like that is a really awesome hat and the fact that he's wearing a hat at all is just the cutest thing um yeah I love that I love that scene I remember there's a an episode later yet like you said where they they really start playing poker I think it's like the cause and effect time loop episode where poker is really important so it was really fun to see it like make the first appearance in the scene and of course Riker is fantastic at bluffing like that whole scene showing him messing with data a little bit. I, I think it's perfect.
0: So. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, uh, I know you're a Cole Meaney fan, Eric. So what did you think of his kind of take here? Oh,
2: I think it's great. You know, it, it's, it's some of the first time we get to see some actual personality from him. Like of all, of all the people there, he's the most so far different from what we see in the, uh, the uh, transporter room and what we now see in the poker room. Right. And, uh, you know, he 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 would like to get on to the next hand pretty, pretty quickly. We, 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 we kind of see that that very polite desire to, to keep it moving.
0: It reminded me, too, of like uh, rounders, right, where they're all like, OK, who's the who's the 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 get, you know, time to pluck a pig- pigeon. I just loved that that uh, that whole thought. Uh, and then we see uh, Picard on the Starbase. The Starbase looks amazing, of course, because it is, I believe, the same model that was used uh, from Star Trek II. Yep. Uh, right? Re- regular fun. one. Is that is that the science station that is reused? So it looks fantastic, of course. Um, and Picard sees uh, Philippa. I keep wanting to say Philippa Giorgio but it's not. It's Philippa
3: yeah.
0: L- Francois. Louvois. Louvois. Lou, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> And you get that great reaction from Picard, where he's, "Oh my
3: god, <laughs>
0: ex-girlfriend slash adversary."
3: I want a book. Yeah, I want to hear all about it. I want to know what happened with him. Like, I actually looked it up after thinking about it, and they really—I don't think have gone into that. So, bring it on. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, and I, I, th- we'll get to it as we get to more on this episode. But like, I love that this episode is one of the first of the series that really shows that what happened in previous episodes matters now. Right. I mean, we've talked a a little bit on this podcast about how this, this is great episodic television in season one and season two, not really that continuous storyline, but this episode really feels like it calls on it. And uh, you know, she, we learn was the uh, JAG officer prosecuting Picard for the stargazer and the loss of that ship. Uh, And they also seem to have had some kind of relationship before that.
2: I think it would be nice to take Philippa and Jean-Luc and take them out there and make a Dharma and Greg type sitcom, <laughs> uh, which I would watch on a loop uh, in tandem with this lovely episode.
0: Maybe that'll be uh, Picard season three. I don't know. I'm
3: in. You we'll never see. know.
0: <laughs> yeah. This episode is the basis for Sikar's, Picard season one. So maybe maybe it uh, all of it will point back to this one single episode okay. of TNG. Uh, and then we get the uh, the great stinger in the line that you mentioned, uh, Eric, of uh, Ain't Love. Wonderful. We get a little bit of continuation. We meet Admiral Nakamura as well as Maddox, uh, Commander Bruce Maddox. Boo. Boo. Um, Philippa very clearly states that she's open to a relationship, though, too. And I thought that was a really bold thing to do in front of your, you know, the Admiral of the star base as well, just to be like, you know, let's do dinner.
2: Yeah. It's basically just laid out there for everybody to see. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Just lay it out there in public lady, ask for it.
0: I wonder, uh, I mean, I, I assume Snodgrass wrote the line that he's a damn sexy man, right?
2: I would imagine. I think it's nice, you know. We've 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 seen Jean Luc in so many different situations. It's it's only a few times early in the season or in the series that we we are reminded that he is a man, uh, <laughs> a, a human person with uh, with sexual proclivities like like uh, Captain Kirk, and uh, when they let him do it, they let him do it. It's fun.
0: How much do you guys think this was a commentary? Because I remember at the time, like. Uh this this show had gotten a little bit of notoriety by this point. It might have been on the covers of TV Guide and and you know the thing and and mentioning how Picard had his own bald sexiness uh thing going on. I wonder how much of that was a nod to uh the way uh he was he was portrayed in the media.
2: Sure. He seems
0: very <laughs> nervous. He seems very uh nonplussed by her compliment, I'll give him that. <laughs>
2: She's it's nice, happy. like he, he, yeah, he plays it within the the realm of what they've written for him before, and he, you know, moves a little step forward. It's it's delightful,
0: right? Um, and then, uh, you know, we don't really know exactly what what Maddox wants uh, at this juncture, uh, but when we go to the Enterprise, the Admiral gets to tour the bridge, and we get this great shot. Um, my my daughter called it out too as we were we were just talking about it, but. Maddox enters. They see each other data uh, uh, at the um, the helm and and Maddox and that that weird look behind his his eye. uh, What do you think, Jimmy, about that?
1: Uh, Well, before we get to that, the moment before there, uh, this is going to be a love fest of this episode. So I I got to take the time to to point out a few things that that. That it irked me a little bit. Uh, the one was as the doors open, uh, Riker calls out Admiral on deck and nobody does anything. Like we get Will and Data just kind of look like, whatever, yo. Um, <laughs> and that's not the way the military works at all. Like those guys would have been on their feet at attention. Uh, otherwise, there's just no reason to call him out if you're not going to do anything. Don't um, fart. That felt uh, like but, a nod
0: to Jim Roddenberry or something like that, like it was added in later, because you don't see Riker actually say that. It looks right. like it was a, a dub. So always over. So it could be. Right.
1: Uh, but the look was great. And you knew uh, something was going to go on. I, I, I don't know why they didn't just name him Richard Maddox so that we could officially call him Dick Maddox, <laughs> uh, because they did everything. They wrote this guy. They cast the perfect person to where you would hate him. From the very second you see him, we have no idea when you first see this episode what's going to happen. But when he walks into 10 forward with the Admiral, you're like, hey, he's a dick. This guy is slimy. Yeah. yeah. And he's perfect.
3: Well, it seems
2: like – oh, sorry. Go ahead.
3: I was going to say it's actually really – speaking of Picard, I was actually sad that he didn't come back for that version of Maddox because he did such a good job as being like that level of – Horrible. I love that scene because when he's walking up and around, you can see that Riker notices, and you can see that Wesley notices, like the look. Worf is like looking somewhere else, and I was like, the one guy
2: <laughs> oh, should be watching what's going on, but
3: no. But yeah, I love that. I love that part where he does the loop around the bridge. It's great.
2: It looks a little flirtatious, which I really love on on behalf of of that actor. Like he is obsessed with Data in a mm-hmm. visceral and and possessive kind of way which which a lot of guys think of as you know as, as sexual and flirtatious like i, I think it's a, a neat uh, i think decision to to make that look covetous mm-hmm.
0: i didn't i didn't get that but I, now that you're pointing it out it does seem like there's a uh magnetism between the two of them
1: um, oh, And in the history and, th- and it's a brilliant disclosure of that history because it's not uh, they don't go into depth or try to make it a story. It's one little line. And that one little line just puts them on a razor's edge for the rest of the episode. And it, it, it's in this scene coming up.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I wrote down that I think Data only has one uh, person on the crew that the backstory is more interesting. Like when I get a little nugget of data backstory, I'm like, "Oh, give me more! Oh, oh yes, that's cool." I don't care about most of the the humans. Uh, You know, Worf comes in later, and I'm really into his backstory. But I think the only person I'm more into is Guinan. Mm. Like you wait years for a little nugget of Guinan backstory, and and it just when it pays off a little bit, it's so satisfying. But with data, it's part of the reason this episode's so good,
0: right? And the admiral slow plays this. The whole time, uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, oh right, of course, yeah." By the way, uh, he's gonna do some procedures on your Android. Disassemble. As yeah. Let's see. Whatever, uh, dude. <laughs> yeah, just deal with it. Take care of this for me, my underlings. It's so great. Uh, but then, yes, you get that scene, uh, uh, that confrontation. I love the line of like, "How have you been?" And he's like, "You know, I don't change with the passage of time, Dick." <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah. Data certainly knows that idiom. Yep. Like he can, he can respond idiomatically. He decides not to.
0: For sure. Uh, and yeah, you're right, Jimmy. It's a great way to get the exposition out there between these two. Uh, and it's got that dramatic st- Like as soon as, um, Maddox walks forward, the music shifts and you get that, 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 ugh, I don't like this person even more than his performance. Right
3: talk about a guy who needs a neck slap right (laughs) That, right
0: there well and we know how strong data is
2: later so i mean
0: that'll take care of it episode over yeah (laughs) um and it's so powerful that i thought it was going to be an act break right like it feels like it's going to be an act break and then it's not they go into the conference room and they talk a little bit more about what this procedure is going to be honestly it's a little bit Technical mumbo jumbo that Star Trek is famous for of how the positronic brain works, but uh, we basically come to understand that Data doesn't think that this procedure uh, of taking being taken apart and put back together is going to make him be whole again.
1: Yeah, and that scene is well, the whole it's brilliant and hysterical all at the same time because immediately they go to a conference room yeah like, uh, <laughs> this, is this is simple one of my bridge officers let's sit down and talk about this uh but then this is the most star trek the, 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 the yeah. brent Spiner <laughs> in brophy is that his name the, the yeah juxtaposition of brent spiner never becoming human dot, not being concerned for himself just you know arguing Uh, a good point uh, and not out of concern for himself. It seems like it's more out of just intellect and the other guy getting, you could see him getting off kilter with, he's emotionally invested and it's just a nice, like, Oh, these are two very different things. And the one that isn't human seems like the better human, (laughs) which of course is every time they try to do that with data. That is a good contrast.
0: Mm -hmm. Eric. I,
2: I think this is my favorite of all of the brilliant Brent Spiner performances as data. Uh, As we continue to rewatch again, I'm sure I'll say that four or five more times, but certainly so far, uh, what I wrote down is that, uh, where is it, Um, where, where he responds to him, and you were the sole member of the committee that opposed my entrance on the grounds that I was not a sentient being. That, the way he says that line to him is inflectionless, like data should be. But somehow it is extraordinarily aggressive Mm. and extraordinarily. I am on the defensive and ready for your attack. And I don't know how he does all of that at once, but he does. And it's beautiful.
3: It it is actually my favorite episode of all next generation. Like, I feel like it's a big turning point for the series. And I saw um, today that Brent Spiner did an AMA a few years ago. And this is the one that he picked as his number one episode so that's awesome <laughs> yeah 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 and the yeah.
1: wikipedia page I have a whole list of how different media outlets responded to tng in general and this episode specifically is mentioned many many times so uh deanna citrus had said the same thing patrick stewart said it was one of his top three like it's like almost universal that's why i said it's a love fest like there's you really have to pick like oh why did you turn left here when you clearly should have turned right uh,
0: it, well we
2: can count on you so though good, uh, <laughs> that
1: it's little there's nothing major that's wrong it's just little things here and there um,
0: I uh I, speaking of things wrong I can't let you get away with saying Deanna Citrus Is that yeah.
1: what, <laughs> what did you do, <laughs> do <man?
2: laughs>
0: we're just saying Marina All the names is the wrong. actress who
1: plays Siridus? Deanna Troy. <laughs> Server? Yes. <laughs> sir, sir,
2: sir. <laughs> Jimmy, your last name is butchered by everyone who knows you, and you're not going
1: to do that to her. That's, That's why I say Jimmy G.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Connor, uh, uh, Maria, Marina S. For um, <laughs> but yes, and I, and and this in this scene in the conference room, uh, you're right. He doesn't. He doesn't. Data doesn't get emotional, uh, and Maddox does. And this is also the first scene where as an audience member, you're really aware that Maddox only refers to Data as it. And it's upsetting how many times he does it in this scene.
3: Yes, it doesn't make direct eye contact with them until he has to, which drives me crazy, but not as crazy as the next scene coming up <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that we'll talk about
0: <laughs> later. Right. Um, I,
2: I'm I'm upset. Like Picard certainly notices it and mentions something much later, but like, and then of course the, the response by the, the process or the judge at the end, but that passes an awful lot of times through that guy's mouth with none of Data's officer friends telling him to stop.
0: That's worth mentioning because I think we've called out a few times how Star Trek and Picard in particular, when he's sees something, he will he will get it called out and correct himself, right? And he makes sure to, to correct others when uh, it's a simple you know nomenclature thing like that. And you're right, nobody calls it out, and I think it's mostly done as a a, a writing device. So that we can see, you know, that transition. Because if it's called out now, then the thing that happens, as you mentioned with the judge later on, it, it loses a little bit of its power. But still, it is uh, off-putting, and I I am angry that Picard or Riker don't say anything about it at this point.
2: Right? If it's if it's a device, it's poorly used because we're we're going to judge what the characters actually do. Exactly. What the characters actually do in this moment is aiding in the bet, and it's 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 rough to watch, you know. Yeah. And at the time, like you know, at the time you, you protect someone who's going through that kind of stuff. I, I don't even buy that. It's the eighties. Um,
0: it is also, I mean, I think we are more hyper aware of pronouns uh, right mm-hmm. now uh, in, 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 in a good way, you know, because in, sure. in, in, the way people identify and, and all that. And I think us seeing this now it just whoosh this is one of those things that probably wasn't that big of a deal to the general culture uh or at least on on television and things like that uh and then now we're just we're aware of it and i think that's sure to but, us I, but i mean even
2: even then the the uh metaphor for slavery was very clear that is know? true uh and and it's you know how and that certainly hits referring different to too. the property of, of, you know, attempted property, propertyization of people, you know, that's how it's been done. So, like, I'd like to think that if someone I thought of as an actual person was called it, I would be like, get the fuck out of here with that.
0: <laughs> but would you have done that uh, when you were ten?
2: I think so. I grew up in Kansas and Missouri hearing white people say some real shit mm-hmm. and telling my friend's parents don't do that. And like, yeah, I, I was naive enough to think that they would stop rather than just stop doing it in front of me. Hmm. But uh, like, that's a whole different kind of naivety for me. But yeah, I I get in trouble with people above me all the time for telling them to shut up.
0: It's great. Do it. Talking to power. I love that. Uh, Well, then, you know, and that and Maddox uh, throws down his gauntlet at the end of the scene saying, like, I knew you you were all going to be jerks about this, but I went above your heads and I've got Starfleet orders that says uh, he now reports to me. I'll see you at zero nine hundred hours.
3: That was the first of many, how dare you moments in that episode.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I had
2: completely forgotten about the transfer thing. And it was nice to have that hit me real hard.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it does hit when you're like, oh man, is this, is this the, I mean, you know, we don't talk about the death of characters uh, in in a Star Trek series like this too much, but that felt like, oh crap, is he, is he going to get transferred? Like what's, what's going to happen here? i like that yeah as, i mean
2: now i would cynically look at it and go well he's incredible i bet somebody hired him away and they're gonna do some shit with him so they gotta kill him
0: uh <laughs> the actor right brent spiner is yeah the, i got yeah i got guest roles i can do on uh cheers or something no i
2: mean they build a build a freaking show around him he's so fantastic
0: uh so then picard starts to research what's going on with uh transfers and how to get out of them and has a sit down with data uh, talking through wh- what that means. Uh, and, and this is the one time where Picard's like, well, you know, it's Starfleet to Starfleet and we got to follow orders uh, and has this, this great heart to heart with data in uh, his ready room. Um, and this is a really powerful scene because, you know, as we were mentioning data doesn't get angry, doesn't get even uh, obsequious or, or, or uh, insubordinate at all. He just points out the facts uh, and the example of Jordy's, uh eyes or cybernetic eyes and his visor being better. Why don't you all put, put out your eyes and wear visors? And Picard, man, he, he takes that to heart.
2: Well, and that's one of the Turing test things, isn't it? They throw metaphors at you to see if you can identify them or, or produce your own. And he's producing a metaphor right there Mm. uh, for it's a really lovely moment.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's a lovely moment and not and I thought the way it hit me is that Picard didn't understand until that moment. Like it sort of clarifies the whole it thing in the scene before is like he didn't understand he was a part of this problem until he heard that because however much he had feelings for uh, data I don't think until right now, he didn't really think of him as a person. He thought of him as a really great tool that he was affectionate toward the way you might be affectionate toward your car or the ship itself. Um, and and there was almost that moment where he was, uh, I will not say pissed off. I was like, ooh, he was taken aback. And he was like, that'll be all Mr. Data. And it wasn't a, I'm going to look into this. I, I didn't take it. It was more of a, I have to chew on this. And then it's because of that, that he's like, he springs into action. He's like, Yes, I was wrong. You're a person. Let's break these chains. Um, hmm.
2: Well, he does that that moment of anger at recognizing his own shame. And then he, you know, moves, moves forward in the way you want them to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The anger, the anger's is unfortunate, but the, the the next bit's great. And, you know, drama.
1: Yeah. No, it's always great when the good guy is does. Is the, the lesson for how to do something better and not just. The one who's saying, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. Like Roddenberry always won it. It's, you learn more yeah. when it's the, the hero who's not in the greatest of light.
2: Yeah, I, I'm harping on this all the fucking time that people have mixed up villains who choose to do the right thing for their own good and anti-heroes. Yeah. And it drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, well, yeah and, and, it's the, how they use Picard is wonderful.
0: And speaking of this, I mean, many people, you know, uh, myself included, thought that this is a data episode. Like, this is all about learning more about data. Um, but I think it might have been one of the the producers, the director, who is like, "This is actually a Picard episode." Like, he's the one who grows and changes, uh, and is the the main protagonist. Data's just, you know, there along for the ride, right? Would you say that, Kelly?
3: Yeah, I mean, in that scene in particular, I really like um, Patrick Stewart's realization hit his face. Like, there's so many more, I always feel like this episode gives him so many more moments to pause and react to things and to actually, you know, act. And I think that might be why this is one of the strongest episodes is because they let him, like I said, take the time to to go through these emotions, show them on his face and have those those. Quieter scenes, I think that maybe we don't usually get.
0: Right, right, um, and then this, you know, he—he he, what I like about the ending of this episode too is that he's he's, he's got resolve. He's going to do things, and then now he has to research law
3: <laughs> on right, his laptop. And that's not, <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: not as dramatic to, to see. A or keyboard. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, But then he goes to, uh, unfortunately, his ex-girlfriend, who is the person in charge of this situation. Uh, And they have this amazing scene where she is flirty and jokey. And he's like, fuck no. Like, seriously, back off. This is serious. This is important to me. And I love that. He basically says, like, no, don't joke around. Like, this is important to me.
1: Right. And it's that line that made it obvious that they had a romantic connection because you don't say that to Mm. uh a judge advocate general or to a police officer that's what you say to somebody you're intimate with like this Mm. means a lot to me it's like okay the jokes are done like that really piqued me like oh, okay maybe they did hook up
2: i'm glad you brought up intimate because we'll be talking about that later but also i i think in her scene here I am so freaking in love with how uh, Amanda McBroom plays this character. Mm -hmm. She does this thing with her voice. And I know Jimmy and I sometimes discuss whether or not it was on purpose. But I think it's on purpose that she's chosen to kind of overpronounce a lot of this. Her delivery is very uh, specific. And she makes sure to hit every uh, note that is on the page. You know, she hits every sound. Uh, and I think that the only things we know about her is that, you know, she's a lawyer, she's ambitious, she's a little too good at everything, she likes to fight, and she's, you know, in love with Picard. So when she does that, and then also kind of flirts and relaxes around Picard, it's so great. It's a terrific performance.
1: Yeah, and I didn't catch on anything that she said so for my <laughs> bit she was living believably under imaginary circumstances the whole show like there was mm. never a point where yep. i thought there was uh she was trying or i could see the the strings being pulled by her so yeah because that
0: reaction where he says this is important to me like she, her whole face mm-hmm. changes and yeah. i i love that and she's like okay well now let me put on my jag face and and talk about this talk about work with you
2: Well, and this is a great moral way to use his power, too. He has it borders on unethical. Like he goes up to this judge and he really does say, you owe me this. Mm. You know, it's not just, um, you know, be impartial. It's you remember when you fucked me over? (laughs) Like it's 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 both. So, like, I I think this is wielding power that you have in defense of good. And it's nice.
0: Yeah. What did you think about this? uh, This scene, Kelly?
3: Um, I love seeing the history between them. I wish she had been able to come back at some point again since there's so much hinted at there. Um, I think from here things kind of get a little too convenient where she doesn't have a staff. You know, all of a sudden the admiral's disappeared even though you would think he'd be involved. Like those kinds of things. (laughs) I I can let it go because I understand why they wanted to set it up the way they did. But I think it's a little later where she starts saying like, oh, I don't have any staff. It's just me. And so hearing her say that and then later on when he comes up to her and like makes little comments if I was Maddox I'd be like what is happening right now like how is this even a fair trial when you obviously know each other but in the end I don't mind because they're so good together in every scene that I'll take it
0: <laughs> yeah and he and she ends the scene with like a real entreaty being like I wish it didn't end the way that it ended uh, and I love his lines of like, uh, uh, you tried, right? Nine, nine out of ten. Good job. You can't even say the word trust anymore, can you? Uh, and it's it's a little bit petty, uh, which in, in, in all of the portrayal of uh, Picard in the past, you got the pomposity of him. You got his bombasticness. But you didn't get him just being, I don't know, like a kid here. Like he's being just like a petty little hurt schoolboy. And uh, it humanized him so much in this moment, um, which I I loved. I loved for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then they're trying to figure out uh, what he can do. And the, the solution is to resign. Uh, that's how you get out of this. If he doesn't want to do this procedure, uh, don't be in Starfleet. You know, if you don't want to follow orders, you know, GTFO. Um, and that's what data uh, has to do. Um, we're, we're going to jump a little bit ahead of here because we are taking a lot of time with all these scenes, but let's get to the uh, uh, party, right? Uh, the going away party. Oh, uh, well,
1: real quick, we have to mention, we have to mention, we have to mention, Starfleet must install a knock feature on every door. <laughs> <laughs> you could not. <laughs> Walk in <clears throat> to a person's private quarters.
3: This—that's what I was talking about when I said the worst thing that he does. That part <laughs> yes. in the episode. Oh, yeah, we, yeah.
1: we don't have to beat the dead horse, but uh, please <laughs> fix the doors. <laughs> I mean,
0: that scene is is uh, great. So we we should—I don't want to gloss over that scene. I mean, the, his moments with each one of those mementos. Uh, we know, you know, someone what they mean. We get to see Tasha and her um, holographic, uh, representation. Again, this is, I think the first time that Tasha's really mentioned meaningfully, uh, since she passed away. I mean, you know, so this is a great callback. I
2: really wish they'd waited to show what it was until the trial mm. just showed us a nice Julie looking thing that means something. And then at the trial mm. show us what it was.
0: Um, but we don't know why he sent him. I mean, well, audience knows why, but you know, we don't we don't get that until uh, the trial. So I like that uh, kind of thing. We don't know why the book is important uh, or his medals necessarily. So we do get some explanation of that later. Uh, but yes, then uh, Maddox just enters. Not even not even upset. He's just like, "Where's where's where is it?" Uh, uh, and then Data again, emotionless, calls him out on like, "Hey, that you're not supposed to do that, are you?" He doesn't care. Steamrolls over all of it. Tries to insult him by saying, like, do you even understand what words are? <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the way he just uh, picks up is, like, goes through his belongings. It shows you he has zero, like, concept of data as a person. Because you wouldn't walk into anybody else's room and just start going through the bags they were packing. Like, I think, also, yeah.
1: he uses his fingers to to read, like in the <laughs> bag <wine> glass, or <laughs> or <laughs> a magnifying glass?
3: Dick. <laughs> dick. dick. <Nah. laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah, it goes through his stuff, but fingers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fingers? Did you just put your fingers on my Shakespeare? Get
0: <laughs> <Put that laughs> out of here. <laughs> uh and that's where uh data drops the bomb that he's resigned uh you know no i'm not under your command or anyone's command uh you can't do this and maddox says well yes i can one way or another uh so we know some
2: uh, some,
1: some
0: shit is about to go down
1: Courtroom procedural here we come yes Dun-dun-dun. it's quietly my
2: favorite drama it's just the best I love so let's get to it oh it's the
0: best i know but well, we have we we definitely got to at least talk about the party scene before we get to there yeah which, which that great shot a starting shot of just the the gift and you don't know what it is you don't know what the context is and it does that the director did a great job of just having that nice pull out and you see the entire uh group together and my mom used to do this so i have a certain hatred of People who try to take off gift wrapping in a very particular way because <laughs> you can save it and you can use it again. And I, I by the way, never use it again. No. <laughs> never was used again. It was just so that it prolonged this moment. Uh, and Data starts to do that. And Wesley calls him out on. This is like the one in the, the, the tour lines that, that Wesley has in this episode. Uh, and it gets a great laugh because Data immediately psh, rips it. And I think anybody who watches uh, this episode laughs at that moment, right, Kelly?
3: Yeah, I was looking at it today, and I feel like maybe it was improv or something. I don't know. I just felt watching their reactions today for the first time, um, Will Wheaton in particular, I felt like just couldn't stop laughing. So I wondered if it was even in the script.
0: I thought the same thing. I thought those uh, actors laughed a little too, especially uh, <laughs> Deanna, Deanna- uh, Citrus. Citrus. <laughs> Kind of kind of does like a, ooh, and she a little bit like looks around me like, okay, we're still in this. And like, you know, you can almost tell.
2: What I would kind of bet is that they had three or four takes because of angles and shit. And every time he did a rhythm that was just a little different. Mm. Like Wesley, the, the one they used ended up Wesley, uh, you know, he finished his line and did it, immediately ripped it. And that quickness was fucking hilarious with, with a deadpan face, right? But I bet there was one at some point where he said just rip it. And then he looked at him and paused and then very slowly went. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like, if this is the sixth or seventh take, people are going to be on their ass at this point. Yeah.
0: That seems likely. Uh, we also get the fact that, uh, Worf and all Klingons, Klingons basically have perfected all literary art forms in the Star Trek universe.
1: Well, and this is a call out to, um, they did this with Chekhov in the original series where they have a, a ethnic inside joke where they their race made something that was human better. Um, uh, so this wasn't the first time something that happened and they carried on with warp in, in, in this series multiple times. And then and
2: then Christopher Plummer in yep. in the, the movie coming up.
0: <laughs> you have Shakespeare in the original Klingon.
2: Yeah, oh, it's amazing.
0: It's so okay. good. Um, and... Uh, It's a nice uh, sentimental moment. But Jordy's being a little emo in the corner by himself with the three-dimensional chess. He's going to miss his friend.
3: His best friend's leaving. Yeah.
2: It's neat that it's a recurrent theme of Data coming to comfort others in this. Hmm. Like he comes to comfort his friend Jordy. He comes to comfort Riker. It's, It's a really interesting thing for a character that we've been asking what You know whether they have emotion or not it's a nice way of showing that he notices that this is different and the humans didn't notice it you know and he goes to fix it
0: that's interesting it's almost as if because he's just an observer and he's he's the most empathetic out of all of them including deanna troy
1: well he can do 16 trillion operations per second
0: (laughs) he's got so many bits man (laughs) 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 Uh, so then we go to Maddox and, uh, Philippa and Picard having their discussion. Um, and this is where it gets a little bit like plotty, uh, in my mind, because, uh, you know, as we were saying this, this whole situation does seem a little bit off, uh, as to how this would actually go down, but it does make for some great scene work. You get to see Maddox and Picard, uh, working off each other, not necessarily trying to impress uh, the judge but trying to you know make the the best points here and i, I just the the call that i want to make from this is just that maddox's uh line about rights like rights rights i keep hearing about
1: rights what about the rights
0: yes and what about my rights about you know and and that really hit differently today it felt a lot like everyone's talking about the the wearing a mask and the the right to choose about vaccinations and things like that and it uh it just made me hate this guy even more it's an ongoing thing i mean did you guys think about that watching me watching it in today's world
3: i think i literally thought well that hits different
0: (laughs) right yeah um, but then he makes a point saying, can the Enterprise's computer uh, refuse to make a refit?
1: Yeah, that was really struck with me because immediately, the to me, the argument fell on its face the second the words came out of his mouth. Because, of course, if the computer was able to say, if it said, hey, I don't want the refit, then you have to stop and like, okay, we need to evaluate what just happened. Uh, the computer yeah. said we, he doesn't want to refit. So is it a her? I mean, it has a girl voice. I don't know, but it's talking <laughs> to us and it's saying it doesn't want to do something. So yes, if it has the wherewithal to say, I don't want to do it, then you have an obligation to examine <laughs> how that's possible and where you go from there. So he has no, in fact, his argument is proving that data should be able to do what he wants like it was in in a fantastic script is a bad line because it it doesn't reinforce the other side's argument whatsoever
2: yeah if i'm alone in a room and i'm about to unplug my computer and a voice goes don't pull that plug i'm not gonna pull that plug
0: (laughs) right and didn't we just also see this with uh moriarty in the uh i mean this exact thing happens. good point and Picard had to be like, "Okay, you know, you got a point. I, I don't know what you are. Why can't they put Data up in Moriarty's world while they work
2: on him? <laughs> he would love that. Moriarty's just like hanging out, having a real good time in the Matrix. They can just put Data in there for a little while.
0: Yeah. So do then some research because of the plot. Uh,
1: Sounds uh, Philip- a little bit like the three fifths compromise to me. Oof.
2: Oh, I do not want to be any part of that. I take it all back." <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
0: she goes along with this argument she said there may be law that supports this uh you know if let me think about it and this is where picard is really throws it in her face and is like i want you to look at this with as much zeal as you took me to task uh for that stargazer shit that i had nothing to do with (laughs) and uh she does she's like i'd never forgotten my duty i'm gonna do it she she eventually rules that uh maddox's point stands that he is property they can do whatever they want with him deal with it um for some reason it's picard and Riker who are in this meeting um yeah right that's another one of those yeah he needed to be here so that's why he's here (laughs) and he says how do we picard wants to challenge this and then this is where we set up the whole courtroom drama of what we're going to see for the uh last third of this episode Riker needs to argue against his friend uh he eventually refuses i mean he refuses at first but then realizes that he has to make this choice or the decision is already made and it's this great i don't know a little indignant moment from Riker. you get you know he's always been kind of the impetuous adventurous type uh, uh that you want to be the hero and he's forced into a villain role here and doesn't like it but uh, agrees with it
3: yeah, I always remember her delivery of the line. The data is a toaster. Like that line always stuck with me because it was just so like, fine, don't do it. He's he's a toaster.
0: It's a great line that works for us now.
3: <laughs> you were like, what's a toaster? But they, they don't toaster. have toasters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? They would just be replicating it. Like call him right. a replicator at least.
1: That doesn't have a
2: <laughs> I, I think it's amazing because all I could think hearing it again is, yeah, if someone said that about a friend of mine, I would remember it forever mm. and hold it against that person forever. Like you you have those friendships where you remember something they said that was like horrible. And even if they apologize, you're like, I remember you said this thing. That's that's kind of rough. Uh, that's what that's what's happening right here.
0: Yeah. And and it's it's effective because it gets uh you know uh, Riker along with it and uh she makes that great saying like you know if I see that you're bagging this in any way like I'm gonna end it and I think he takes that to heart too and maybe that's where some of the adversarial uh, uh deleted scenes that you were mentioning Jimmy you know kind of played into this because he's like I have to try as hard as I can or or you know this whole thing is is for naught
1: yeah well we'll talk about the scene where he or hopefully we'll talk about where he he finds out information. Right, because something interesting I thought happened in that scene too—the
0: fact that he's drinking coffee out of a uh, with you know cream.
1: I thought maybe it was a White Russian. (laughs) 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 Beverages here, man. (laughs) (laughs) Information. Fucking
2: fascist.
0: (laughs) Uh, So yeah, let's move on to Riker's research moment uh, uh, there.
1: Well, the the thing that struck me—maybe I wonder if you guys hit you the same way—is when he finds out. And I think it's they don't tell you what it is that makes him happy, but he has a smile on his face. He finds something out that makes him smile. Um, And I don't know if that was, oh, I found a way out of this. Like I found a way to lose the case without looking like it. Or was it, oh, I got something good that maybe Picard can't come back from, like the whole turning off. Like, I don't know what was happening there but the smile happened and uh it's i don't know how to process it like it was a was it good or bad
0: (laughs) uh i think we're doing some of these scenes out of order so apologies those of you who are are doing things chronologically uh but before uh the scene i believe is when picard and data have their conversation about who's going to argue you know that who would you rather have arguing for you here's the situation and data interrupts simmons as basically like no i you're the you're the person you're the only person i could ever want uh to to argue for me and I, I appreciate you and that was like a it felt like a very almost like a screenwriterly moment where like here's the intentions you know here's the thing here's the setup for for you know the end of uh, or you know the start of act three here for this episode and uh, uh that's really all i wanted to comment there do you guys have anything about that moment
3: I would say you reminded me that it's very obvious that nobody else is in this episode. Like that seeing the Troy unwrapping the paper, that's or with data doing the paper. That's the only time we see Troy, you know, mm-hmm. the doctor is only at the beginning. So when you said it's a, uh, it's a Picard episode, I feel like them, you know, focusing the scene data, choosing Picard. Like I can see that a lot more now that you bring it up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a really, uh, different ensemble because we I, I i would put maddox and and uh, uh philippa as part of this amazing courtroom drama um and then uh i think that takes us to the opening uh where Riker begins his his arguments uh and this is i i i just happen to read it it's, this courtroom scene is the redressed uh set of the battle bridge um that we've seen a couple of times they just took out all of the consoles and Uh, put in uh, different chairs and things. So, you know, here we go. We got a courtroom. Perfect. And uh, Riker basically just calls his first witness uh, and brings uh, data to the stand. Uh, This is the only thing you got to do. He puts his hand down and he reads off who he is. And uh, I guess that's equivalent of of swearing on the Bible uh, in our courtrooms. Um, And we get all these accolades, some of which we don't even know why Data has at this point, right? Like, I don't even know what some of these awards are, but like the star cross is the thing that goes in my mind. I'm like, how do you get the star cross? I don't
1: know. Legion of clusters or something.
0: Right, with full (laughs) clusters. (laughs) Like, that's great.
1: Full clusters.
0: Um, But he's a very decorated uh, officer and I love that Picard is like, yes, no, read that out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is why... uh, it's okay to dislike Riker uh, because of this this scene uh, and how he expertly gets data to talk through and show that he is an android that has been created by by man and therefore we can do with him what we, what we want. To
2: borrow some phrasing from Jimmy earlier, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot <laughs> skip over one of my very favorite jokes in the entire series, which is according to Webster's... <laughs> 25th century dictionary or
0: whatever it
2: is <laughs> yes, it's so amazing i thought that right. too as an
0: editor uh, i'm like man webster's is still kicking it
2: uh, <laughs> fuck yeah it is
0: mm. have they been updating the chicago's you know manual of style as well <laughs> <laughs> got to it's gotta be um yeah, it is a great little throwaway line. But then, you know, we get all of these demonstrations. Uh, Riker makes him bend the apparently, you know, very hard steel. Uh, it looks like like just putty uh, in his hands, which is great. Um, and then, uh, you know, he, again, it shows that he's a man and then a man shall turn him off and in full view pushes the the button behind him. He does that weird slumping forward, uh, very terrifying posture. And this is the part that I think Riker probably went a little bit too far into the realm of melodrama and uh, horribleness. Pinocchio is dead. Yeah, we have cut his strings.
3: I mean, I guess that was that that supposed to be a callback to Encounter at Farpoint? Isn't he? Hmm. Wasn't he singing the or whistling the song? It's been so long since I've seen it, but I thought he was whistling the the Pinocchio song. You're right. I could be wrong. I think there's a put like I thought that it was maybe just not the data could hear oh, it, but sweet. that I think that was just a reference to that or their first meeting, which is why I think he just looks so devastated when he goes and sits back down. It's funny you say that this scene makes people dislike Riker. It actually made me like Riker because you hmm. see that regret, you see that he's trying his hardest, and he really doesn't want to. So I think this this episode, I think, was one of the first times I really started to understand Riker a little more and like him a lot more.
0: That's a really but good is point. But it's melodramatic. Not, you're,
3: well, you're still right, that was melodramatic.
0: <laughs> right, he could have just been like the defense rest or whatever it is. Like, no, but, right.
3: like It's like an actor,
1: <laughs> when you have a, the opportunity to do a spit take, it doesn't matter how many tens of thousands of actors before you've done a spit take, you do the spit take. And, <laughs> and when you have the opportunity for a great line like, the like, strings have been cut. Yeah. And, like, it. It's like you... Your hand just does it for you. You're like, I
3: don't want to write this, but...
1: Uh, <laughs> but the paper,
3: it kind of feels good. The Riker yeah. mic drop, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
1: But well, I was
2: thinking earlier, Pulaski had that that horrible, wonderful actor problem of having to say instinct data, instinct. That that double phrase with the My Dear Watson in the middle, mm. like, that's some hard shit, and she pulled it off very well.
0: hmm mm. But I love your point, Kelly. Like, I I had not considered that in their meeting uh, in the holodeck on Farpoint. And what's interesting about that is that Riker knows that reference, but Data would not have been able to hear it because he's turned off. Is he and talking I, I, to himself, I, something... maybe? <laughs> what's that?
3: I, was he talking to himself then? I don't know.
0: Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that was a way to make it palatable what he has done, but it still didn't sit right. And you're right. They, when he sits back down, he knows he's, you know, had a really so good So the look of regret
2: on his face is that nobody got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, usually I timed it wrong. I should have said it and then turned him off. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. <laughs>
0: Everybody in the courtroom is devastated by this, though. It all seems very terrifying, Uh, except for Maddox. He kind of has a like a (laughs) mm, kind of face The entire
3: legal department of
1: what? (laughs) I would like to call my next witness.
0: (laughs) I got nobody else.
1: Uh, Let me guess. Uh,
0: But Picard calls for a recess. He's like, I got to get out of here. This is I can't do this anymore. I got to get Uh, a drink. And he goes to, to turn data back on. Yeah. They don't even bother to turn it on. Who noise. did that? <laughs> uh, but we get this great scene with Amazing. Guinan, uh, which you mentioned earlier, Eric. Uh, and this, I mean, we've been talking a lot about hitting differently. This one really, I don't think I got the subtext uh, of history uh, in what she was saying um, until until now. Uh, and really how powerfully she leads Picard through the logic steps like that's what I love about this uh uh, Whippy Goldberg's portrayal of Guinan is that she always knows but she pretends that she doesn't know and she gets the people that she's talking to to the realizations that she had already started the conversation with and that's exactly what happens here
2: yeah I uh, it's such a a tightrope she walks uh as a performer because she wants to she does give away that she knows and that she has that little wink in her eye where she's like you're almost there and then she deadpans something she does not believe without giving that away with the same little wink in her eye and like it's off putting on a lot of actors and it's just in- incredible work she's great she actually sips tea
0: in this in this scene <laughs> too
3: right after she says it see, she takes
0: yeah it. it's uh
3: she's like take your time you'll get it
0: yeah <laughs>
1: That I mean it's one thing to write or say, well, we want a character who's kind of all-knowing without seeming all-knowing and being absolutely adorable and likable in every respect. Uh it, it it's you know daunting as an actor to see that on a page. Like I'm I'm supposed to do what? <laughs> uh and man, does she absolutely crush it every time. I mean, that was it was absolutely didactic. I mean, it was like, put the apple on the table because you're getting schooled right now, and yet <laughs> it doesn't come across that way yeah. at all. I mean, the simple lesson, you know, because it, it's obvious it's about slavery, but then the, the deeper lesson there that I got, for I think, for the first time watching it the other day was it starts with one little thing. It, it It's not, uh, we're going to bring some, the, the Oompa Loompas over and they're going to, I'm going to save them from the rotten, vinicious canids and give them a place to live. It, you know, it, it seems like you're, you're telling yourself you're doing something good, but really you're just exploiting people for your own means. And it's like this one person does it. Now you have an army of people. What does that sound like? It's like, oh, right. That's how it, yeah. the, the sinisterness of, of it all. Um, and she does it by, but with what's still seeming very, gleeful and happy like uh, she's absolutely amazing with people mm-hmm. just extraordinary
0: and
3: similar to so pretty. oh sorry i was just gonna say in the lighting in that scene so pretty and the way the camera's so close to them like it feels like such an intimate scene i i really i really like that
0: yeah me too and it is just uh, again similar to her uh, performance in an earlier episode when uh, it's Joe Piscopo uh, uh, you know trying to teach data how to do comedy. Guinan's performance in that it works on so many layers. Uh, or Whippy Goldberg has gotten, and I think it's similar in this, where she is who she is as an actor, and the audience will know that. But she's also doing the character extremely well. And it really transcends beyond just the Star Trek story and makes you be like, this is not this is this is the scene where you're like this is about now this is not about some future far-flung uh made-up far-fetched uh fantasy land of star trek this is about us this is about what coming to terms with what that means
1: yeah just imagine marina troy doing that scene
0: (laughs) 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 she she's a member of the british empire i don't think she would get it uh so then we go back to the final uh, courtroom scene with Picard, uh, having gleaned this information from Guinan. What I love about this scene is that he starts off acting very badly, uh, on purpose. Like he's just, you know, is he a machine? No. Do we not? You know, it's it, it's almost monotonous in how Patrick Stewart does these first few lines. And I wanted to talk to you, actors, about that choice and what why why it works. Cause he wouldn't think it would, <laughs> but it does here.
2: I think the writers did him no favors and it's so impressive what he does. Mm. Like he has that line kind of early on where he's going to object. And he says, it doesn't match objection withdrawn. And I'm like, he does it well, but it seems out of character a little bit. Like the writers are, are like, we only have five minutes for this scene and we got a lot to cover. So let's start him out super depressed and having given up. Uh, but you're right, it, it comes across as a tactic once he starts to warm up. And I wanna piggyback a little bit on what Kelly was saying earlier with the pausing and, and rhythms that Jean-Luc got to show here that Patrick Stewart hasn't really gotten to dip into. And it does, it feels like a play. It feels mm-hmm. like he has an audience and he's doing the rhythms that he would take liberty with if the monologue were in a play instead of on TV. And it's something that I think a lot of acting in TV and film can can learn more from. Speed up the dialogue and slow down the monologues, um, as a general rule. But um, I thought it was beautiful. It was beautiful work.
3: I was just going to say, if you notice, there's no music in that scene either, until, yeah. until the, it picks up at the end and he really gets going. But that whole yeah. from the kind of defeated attitude to where he keeps going, like you said, it's like a play because it's just him.
0: Well, my head canon is that Patrick Stewart did the same thing for this scene. He's like, can, yeah. can we not, can we for not? one minute, just not have the crescendos? <laughs> <laughs> Let me imply them. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. I mean, that's why what, that's what I think it's great about starting where he does, is because he does get to a really wonderful, bombastic moment uh, that calls back to what Star Trek is all about. He has that great line of you know uh, the federation was founded to find new life and there it sits and it lands so well uh for us the audience and for and for the courtroom agreed yeah
3: i actually get goosebumps every time he does it and today i pointed with him there it is
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah And then he drops it again. And he does that really private moment with his girlfriend, -girlfriend, Mm ex-girlfriend. And it's like, you got the chance now. It's up to you. And I thought that was a really nice way to uh, unethically manipulate her.
3: (laughs) That's where Maddox should have been (laughs) like, what is going on?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But she takes it. And runs with it, and has her own little monologue that I, 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 I think this is, you know, uh, just as good of a performance, if not better, than than what Patrick does here. Like I like her continuation, and it's got that dramatic reveal of like, you know, is he a machine? Yes. Is he property? No. And everyone kind of visibly is like, okay, that's that's the judgment. And she 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 makes a really really uh, strong way of wording it here.
3: Yeah, I think uh, ever so since her- I was uh, little, when she says, um, "Does he have a soul?" I don't know that I have one. Like that line always stuck with me because I was always so impressed that they even, even went there, like even had her question her own, like capability to make that decision. I think that's one of the, the best parts of that speech. Like you said, it's so good.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it and it's is a continuation of the logic that Picard tries to put forth forward of like, you know, am I sentient? How do you know? You're just assuming that I am, but why don't we make those same assumptions for, for data? I don't know if I have a soul. I don't think I do. Maybe from this uh, episode is where I started to realize like, wait a second, that whole thing is kind of made up, isn't it? you mean now or when you were a kid when i was a kid i think i
2: I mean greg's in crisis i I became i became an
0: atheist pretty pretty much in my teens i think Uh, and and uh but i think the cracks started to to show in 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 watching star trek honestly
2: i think ccd did it to me but was that too
0: yeah um she rules uh uh in the favor and maddox Uh, Kind of, you know, has that moment with Data afterwards and Data says, you know, continue your work. You, you know, or or, well, he formally uh, refuses the procedure and Maddox cancels the transfer orders. And Data magnanimously says, you know, this is not no forever. This is just continue it and show me that you know exactly what you're doing and that I'll be able to survive it. And Maddox uh, has that brief conversation with Philippa right after that when he says he's remarkable, isn't he? Did not refer to him as an it pronoun. She calls him on it, and he's like, "Okay, well, I'll see you in Picard season one." <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, uh, it worked. Picard and Philippa have a date now,
3: which is what the episode was all about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all about. It's the Darman Greg thing. <laughs> Uh, it's a great conclusion, but I love the coda, which we we've mentioned a couple of times of data going to Riker, who is doing his emo thing, looking out the window of the conference <laughs> room, the observation deck by himself. And Data's like, there's a party. You should be there. And and uh, Riker rightly so is guilty. And data just completely turns his, you know, despondentness on its head and says, "You you did something for me and I won't forget that.
2: He's an emotional support android.
0: (laughs) I just like that last shot of slapping data on the back and the two of them smiling. It actually feels like a return to normalcy uh, here. Um, And uh, I'm realizing now that we skipped over the intimate conversation. Uh, So let's make sure we do that before we go to final thoughts uh, where I was going to hit it in my final thoughts if anybody else has things to say. Why don't you let us know your final thoughts and hit uh, uh, Tasha Yar's holographic image
2: I will. I give this episode 10 Tasha Yar holographic images. (laughs) I I think this is a perfect episode. Like I say, I I think the revelation about Tasha is is nice right away that he kept that uh, 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 sculpture basically, but I think it would have hit so much harder if we'd waited until uh, the trial for him to set it down and then hit it. And then we see Tasha because then they went to data and he does one of these little things while he, while he notices it again. And uh, he start. I mean, even when the question is asked, he's looking at Tasha until he comes up to answer it. You know, it's, it's neat. And, and the answer once he says it is again, it's very deadpan, but that, that whole, that we were intimate is what he says. It's the, it's the word he chooses. And I swear, even then the way he says it and that he kept that, it seems clear to me that they were buddies after the first time they did it. And it kept going until she died. Mm. And that's super cool and super sad and really wonderfully implied. Cause I think that's
3: implied.
0: Uh, so
2: uh, 10 Tasha Yar sculptures.
0: <laughs> uh, Kelly, what about you?
3: Uh, like I said, this is my single most favorite episode of of the next generation. I think it sets the tone for what the series becomes. I think it um, sets the tone for a lot of what Star Trek becomes. It's later on, they, they revisit Bruce Maddox, not just in Picard, but there's the episode Data's Day where he's writing him a letter. Like it's still it's still going on like they don't forget they don't just set up this great episode and then forget about it obviously with everything they did in Picard but I think it's uh I think it's where I really started to love the show because it made me think more than any show I think I'd seen at the old age of 12. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely what about you Jimmy final thoughts?
1: Uh, I'm gonna give this episode ten snodgrasses
3: <laughs> because
1: uh, it is the absolute best episode we have seen to this point, uh, and it is in there in the running for best episode over all the seasons. We'll see as we get further into this podcast. if that never changes, but right now, it's number one. Um, it is sci-fi, uh, you know, is what's the value of artificial intelligence? How do we treat it? Um, It's drama. It's got great speeches. I mean, the whole thing was a balloon debate and it didn't matter, you know, like who's going to be kicked out of the vote and everybody make your best argument. Um, So, and it's exciting to hear really great language pitched against two ideas um, because that's how you can sort of frame your understanding and walk away with, you know what, you're wrong. And I got this great Uh, monologue now to say how you're wrong. Thank you, Picard. Uh, So it's just a fantastic episode. Ten (laughs) snodgrasses.
0: Well, I I agree with everyone here. I mean, I think it is uh, one of the greatest episodes of television, let alone uh, Star Trek, uh, because it does so much work uh in making us think about our existence our lives our government uh our society in general the nature of existence while still being an entertaining story that is actually pretty difficult to tell if you think about all we just went through it goes through a lot of different phases before it even gets to the courtroom drama uh, and the courtroom drama is so memorable, but it's really only uh, 15 minutes out of this episode. Uh, and that's memorable, uh, too. And it's uh, performance wise. It's amazing. Um, you get this growth of Picard uh, as well as more of the backstory and 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 uh, understanding of Data's existence. Um, it's it's fantastic across the board. So I give it uh, 10 out of 10 terrible admiral costumes because that is the one that's the one thing is that i thought nakimor's admiral costume was pretty bad but we'll see we'll see how this is the
1: started. debut of that admiral costume too they it was. changed it up and this was the first episode where they changed the look of the admirals
0: yeah, I thought maybe just because he was on the thing, but I mean, I mentioned it before uh, too. But I, 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 this is an episode that really feels like it is part of this entire continuum story, right? Because we mentioned, you know, all the things we've mentioned already. But it's also the reason this base is here near the neutral zone, is because of the Romulans and the Romulan activity that was alluded to at the uh, finale of last season, and we eventually find out is because of the Borg uh, and they're attacking too. So it is almost this beginning of a continuous storyline that is. Yeah doesn't feel like it right this this doesn't feel like this is a a, a continuing uh, story episode it feels like a bottle yeah. episode but it still does all of these great storytelling lifting that does stuff as i said to picard season one uh that was released you know what last year so uh but
2: you're right i mean all of the the conversation until they focus on data is about the neutral zone and the ongoing threat there that's so mysterious yeah that's nice yeah i hadn't really picked up on that
0: it's it's cool. It makes it feel like this is a living, breathing world, um, and uh, instead of just you know a wagon train show like the original series.
2: Yay, was. world building! Right, Yay. and the fact that they
1: have a space station there means they're not really a scientific outfit; they're absolutely a military outfit. <laughs> <It's>...
0: <laughs> Even though they use the scientific regular one uh, uh, model, this is very clearly. Uh, I just love that that model was shown as much throughout this episode too. Like in the windows, it's outdoors, it's, you know, you got to get a a sense of place uh, with this as well. Uh, So crazy, amazing stuff. The measure of a man. Uh, Thank you, Kelly, for being here and talking through uh, this episode. It was great to hear your insights. Uh, Thanks for being on.
3: 10 out of 10 Vienna citruses.
0: Uh, where, my pants. no problem uh where can people find out about you and your work and and uh, uh you know uh, follow you
3: um you can follow me on twitter i'm at kelly underscore knox my work is sort of all over the internet but um if you want to read my writing it's at starwars.com nerdist ign i wrote one article for starcheckk.com which i'm very proud of myself for so Ooh, nice. <laughs>
0: Uh, awesome. definitely follow Kelly if you can. Uh, her uh, I mentioned it before, but the, the the dad jokes around Star Wars that are on uh, uh, Kelly's Twitter is worth the follow alone. so They're make terrible. it happen. They're horrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, well, my pants are wet, and I think it's time to end this so I can change them. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining our Cultural Bridge Officers for this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing the mission with another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. We want to hear from our listeners. If you've got questions or observations, hailing frequencies are open. You can email letsreengage at gmail.com, or if you're more social media minded, follow Re-Engage on Instagram and Twitter at reengage TNG to get updates on episode drops and all kinds of fun. Eric Grant emails the best way to ask him a question. Follow Kate Yeager at Yeagerlicious on Twitter and Instagram. Jimmy G is Jimmy at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Greg Tito is Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Reengage is edited and mixed by Krista Curry. Krista from Glee on Twitter and Krista.Curry on Instagram. Logo artwork by MojoJoJo97 on Twitter or you can find her at Mojo97.com. And our theme music is by the incomparable Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Stand by for Riker's beard to re-engage.